This is episode 144 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Four Simple Things You Can Do Right Now to Switch to Solar for Your Off-Grid Homestead, Camouflage for Preppers, and How Much Ammo, Eight Recommendations for Prepper Ammo Storage Supply. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, just, uh, you know, prayers go out to people in Florida. I know there, there's over, at this point, 3 million people, and of course I'm recording on Sunday evening, 3 million people uh, without power. Um, some of the uh, the pictures that you're seeing, you see, you're seeing some of the surge uh, the storm surge and, and, and rain in some of the cities, and it's uh, it's crazy. You know, the storm surge, uh, sometimes people don't completely understand that, and for those of you who don't live on the coast, a storm surge is just the basic level of water. So if you went out to the beach and you saw the water, that would be, that's the regular height of the, where the water, water is at all times. And a storm surge, if they say it's 10... Uh, 10 to 15 feet of storm surge so that wherever you see the normal water then that goes up 10 to 15 feet from wherever it's at then on top of that you have all the waves that are coming and crashing and and, and all that kind of stuff so just it's the water level of of the ocean rises to 10 to 15 feet and uh, they were showing some uh, some video of uh, I believe it was Tampa Bay uh, or Tampa that um Tampa, but Tampa, that um, where where the the actual water was kind of, and so there was that one video. I don't know. I posted it on the Facebook page of Prepper website, and uh, it somebody they were walking around, and like the ocean was nowhere. I think this was in the Bahamas. The ocean was like nowhere to be found. I mean, these guys are like walking way out into the ocean. It was just sand. And so the same kind of idea, same kind of things that seem to happen in Tampa a little bit, not as much as or as dramatic because you can still see a little bit of water, but uh, it's kind of like the, the hurricane pulls that water out and then it just brings it all back in in that storm surge. And uh, so you have, you're dealing with that. Um, you know, they've already caught some looters, which I'm glad they caught. I just don't understand why people have to loot. And you're going to go to jail for a long time because you stole some tennis shoes. I mean, that's just stupid. But people have that, you know, have that idea that, you know, things are, are crazy and people are bunkered down and so, or people are, have, have left and so now is the time to go in and break into stores and stuff and steal stuff. So that's uh, totally crazy. I don't know if you saw the videos of Miami with those cranes. Uh, there was that one crane that was just, you know, just twirling around and around and then one completely tipped over. You know, and people were saying, well, why didn't they take them down? I mean, these suckers are huge. It would take a long time to move these things, you know, to, to break them apart and move them down. And so I'm sure a lot of people were just, uh, a lot of buildings and contractors were just like, we're just going to, you know, hopefully everything goes well and, and, and they don't break or damage or whatever. But, um, you know, they're going to be dealing with a whole lot of stuff. So I guess we'll learn a little bit more on Monday and see how things are and see how bad the damage is. But it's a big storm, and so uh, again, our prayers are out there with you. Hey, if you had a chance to uh, register for Back to the Basics 
the Back to the Basics Living Summit. Um, man, that started uh, on Sunday, and you know one of the one of the you know the people that are putting them on, put, putting the the summit on, said that there was like 76 days of video uh, that were watched on on just Sunday, and so this is going on all week long with all kinds of different presenters. Don't uh, don't hesitate to uh, to register and then you know you get it's on demand. So every day it's it's a different set of presenters and it's on demand. I thought it was a schedule, but no, you get to to sign up, you get to see who you want to to view, and you go watch them and you go from there. Um, they also have you know an opportunity if you if you don't get a chance to sit down and watch everybody that you want, you can purchase the summit and so you can uh, purchase the summit and uh, have lifetime access to all the videos but then you also get transcripts you get mp3 player the mp3 audios of all the presentations and then you also get uh, some books and, and planners that are part of the deal and they have this uh, this deal right now it's only going to go for I guess two more days um, or one more day actually if you if you're hearing this or maybe two more days I guess uh, if you're hearing it, hearing it on Monday um, and so you can go buy that for $59 and you get access to all of that. So if, you, if you're interested in that, I'm going to link to both of them, the registration and also the, the special uh, price if you want to buy it. I'll link to that in the show notes if you're interested in that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely there's a lot of great presentations out there. And uh, like I said, you don't have to sit there and watch through, uh, you know, watch the whole, the whole thing. You can just kind of pick and choose. It's on demand as you go. Hey, I do want to say a thank you to all of the all of you who are purchasing through our Amazon link. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's a blessing. We don't make a whole lot of money off of Amazon, and Amazon's always seems to be changing up their their uh, their affiliate you know sales and different things like that. But it is whatever you buy, uh, it is a small little blessing to us, and so I do really appreciate that. Uh, that really does help out. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of uh, the podcast. This one comes to us from BeSurvival.com, and it is four simple things you can do right now to switch to solar for your off-grid homestead. So, if you are thinking about eventually going to, uh, you know, going the homestead route, or if you just want to save some money and you know utilize some solar, uh, maybe you want to try it out and see, you know, uh, kind of work some kinks out for yourself. This is a good article article to kind of get you started, and then there's some uh, things here, maybe some ways you can save some money. So let's get started on this one. Solar power is great. It is clean and green, but unfortunately it also takes a lot of money to set up considering the cost of solar panels. Even with tax incentives, most people will not be able to afford solar shingles or a full solar panel system to cover their total power needs. If you can't completely switch over to solar, you can take little steps towards switching. Each little step gets you closer to being completely solar. Doing it in steps makes it easier financially. If you do it this way, you can save money and help the environment while moving towards solar or wind power. Number one is check your energy usage. The easy way to find out how much energy you use is to look at your electrical bill. Find out how many kilowatt hours you use on average on an average every day. This will give you a general idea of how much you are using and how much solar power you need to buy. Once you have a general idea, you need to start looking at the specific items and devices that are using that electricity. You will need to get an electricity usage monitor. A popular monitor is the kilowatt. 
You just plug it into your outlet and plug your device into the kilowatt. The LCD display will show you the amount of power being used by whatever is plugged into it. You may be surprised by the number of items that you think are off but are actually using electricity. Many electronic devices like laptops, TVs, and printers will actually use power while not being used. The amount of power may not be much, but if they are plugged in 24 hours a day, the cost will add up. Do this for even items in your house, for every item in your house. Once you find out which items are using electricity, you can unplug the ones that you aren't actively using and plan what to do about other items, such as replacing them with a lower power version. Number two, switch small items to batteries. It may sound more expensive to buy rechargeable batteries, but what you can do is buy a solar battery charger to charge them. Once you have done that, you won't have to pay for the power to run those devices or appliances and they will become free to operate. Every time you, cha you charge, you can charge for free. Pick a standard size of battery, AA or AAA, and try to buy devices or appliances that use those batteries if possible. Almost all small devices and small appliances can be switched to run on batteries, allowing you to operate them without electricity using your solar charger. For items like phones and laptops, there are also solar chargers specifically for them as well. Instead of charging your cell phone every night, you can get a solar charger to charge it. If you need to charge overnight, you can buy a power bank and have the solar charger top up, top up the power bank's battery, which you can use to charge your phone at night. Number three, change the solar lights. Lights are probably one of the most common uses of electricity and also the easiest to deal with. With current generation of LED bulbs, you can cut down on the amount of power you need to use to light your house and also run them off solar. You hear more about solar powered garden lights, but there are also emergency solar lights, solar lanterns, as well as indoor-outdoor solar lights. If you take a look at solar lanterns, many have built-in batteries and can also be used to charge your electronics like your cell phones. They work great for camping and or emergency purposes as well. There are many models and styles to suit anyone from decorative vintage style hanging lanterns to modern collapsible lights. Buying a solar lantern with a charger for electronics is a simple and easy way to make a big step towards switching to solar. Change your power habits. For the things that you can't switch to batteries but take a lot of power, try to change how often you use those items. Take something like a microwave. The convenience of the microwave leads to overuse and waste. While you may not be able to get rid of your microwave right away, you can unplug it. This will save you from the residual power draw of the clock, etc. and help you to save money as well. Once you unplug your microwave, it will become more of a hassle to just pop something in and give you more incentive to use conventional ovens, Dutch ovens, crock pots, and slow cookers. Here's a pro tip. When you cook on the stove, make sure you cook with the lid on. Save 30% of energy. Some 30% of energy is wasted due to evaporation, boiling, and heat loss without the lid. Dealing with large appliances. Once you have finished taking these small steps towards converting to solar power, you can plan for what to do when you, with your bigger items. While it may seem great to say you don't need a washer or dryer, it can be difficult in practice. As with the strategy toward microwave use, Try to minimize the usage of the washer and dryer. Small clothing items can be washed and dried without too much trouble, but bigger items like towels and sheets are rather inconvenient to do manually. Minimize the number of loads you do per week and also reduce the amount of time for each load. 
Always use cold water because hot water will be coming from your water heater, therefore using more electricity. Eventually, you can look into solar ovens, solar water heaters, and making your house more efficient, energy efficient by using energy-saving curtains and shades for, for your windows, checking insulation around doors, and among others. No one can say that it's too hard or too expensive, and this will let you take a concrete step towards switching to solar. Once you have started and you see how you are saving money and the environment, you can later look at taking other steps. Don't think that you need to switch overnight. Big changes are hard to implement immediately. When you think of all the things you need to do to convert to solar, it may seem overwhelming, but don't let this stop you from your goal. Take things step by step. There was one uh, comment here that I was reading. Uh, it's only one, but I think it's, uh, it's a valuable one uh, from Hondo. And it says, okay, I agree solar power is good. You will get no debate from me on this subject. However, the only viable, affordable way we have found to go off-grid is to get one cheap or $139 solar system consisting of three panels, the wiring control box, and deep cycle battery. We bought this system from Harbor Freight and the battery from Interstate. Both have performed flawlessly for nearly a year. This system keeps the wise cell phone and computer charged, the flashlights working, my cordless drill turning, and provides lighting via two 5-watt LED lights and honestly stay powered for two full nights. This system works well even on cloudy days. Now, the problem is to hold the line at the level. We do not use electricity for anything those panels will not power. A person cannot be off-grid and still use grid-greedy appliances. We wash clothes in a tub and hang out to dry. If ironing is needed, we use a hot plate. We heat the iron on a metal sorry, we use the we heat the, the iron on a metal plate over a wood-burning fire. Anyone can do this if they put their minds to it and will not yield to temptation. Convenience is a death sentence. It spoils the mind and weakens the body. Best wishes and thanks. So uh, yeah, those Harbor Freight. Uh, you know, I remember watching a Southern Prepper um, video on it, and it's a great introduction into into solar power. The thing to remember, and why this why this uh, this article I think is a valuable one, is because it's starting to get you to think and look at you know all the power that you're using, uh, and that's that's an important step. Because if you go from living the normal, you know, suburban life or life that you normally live, modern day life, and you try to go from that into homesteading and, and trying to go completely off grid, you are going to have some shocks. Because there's a lot of a lot of things that we we power that we take for granted that um, that when you're off grid and you're depending on solar and battery banks and those kinds of things that you just you just can't and so you have to be a little bit more conscious a little bit more uh, purposeful in what you're doing and so that's why I kind of like this article and you, you're looking at the kilowatt and, and trying to figure out you know what uh, appliances use the most and all those kinds of things and so uh, you know it's it's a good article when you're when you're thinking about doing that or even if you're trying to minimize the amount of electricity that you're using you know in, in for modern uh, for modern homes uh, the big the big eaters are going to be the washer and dryer, like you mentioned. It's going to be the refrigerator, and it's going to be the central air and heat. If you're in a situation, let me tell you, like in Houston, uh, there there are days where it's just it would be miserable right now without with a without AC. I mean, you can you can do it. You, your body eventually becomes accustomed to it, 
but it sucks, you know. And some some people, when you start talking about, you know, the apocalypse or SHTF or whatever, they say, I don't know if I want to live in a world like that. You know, I, I I'd rather just give up and die. I'm like, well, you know, if if that's the way they they think of it, okay, so be it. But you know, um, it 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 is something to think about out there um, because it's so easy to walk into a nice cool home and uh, you know when it's when it's hot outside. And so there's a lot of considerations here. Um, there's, you know, if you are going, if you're going completely off grid, you're going to have to find a solution for like a refrigerator and for a freezer. Uh, you know, how you're going to store your meats, how you're going to take care of that. I mean, unless you're completely, completely off grid and uh, you're like going old school, little house on the prairie. I mean, you're going to have to, you know, when you make a kill, uh, in, in your harvesting meat, you're going to be able to eat what you can and then you need to start smoking the rest. So you need to have all that or you need to, you know, turn it into the, the jerky or, you know, whatever you're going to do. You got to be ready to, to make those, uh, decisions and be ready to, to work that way. So a good article over there. Go check it out at bsurvival.com. There are, uh, you know, there are some links here that, uh, be, will be valuable to you. And, uh, that kilowatt I have, I have linked to that plenty of times on Prepper website. Okay, so our next article comes to us from Survival Sullivan, and uh, the title is Camouflage for Preppers. And so this, uh, this is interesting, and so let's go ahead and read this one. Camouflaging is an art. It takes a lot of time and patience to be able to successfully blend in with your surrounding environment. Even though it may be a tedious art, camouflaging is well worth it if you can do it successfully. There are many reasons as to why you wouldn't want to camouflage yourself or your weapon. One of the biggest reasons why is when SHTF and you need to bug out undetected. Snipers use camouflage to conceal themselves and they're very effective in doing so. You don't have to wait until SHTF to learn how to camouflage. You can also use it for everyday means such as hunting. Make sure to follow the rules in your state in regards to wearing blaze orange during rifle hunting season. On average, it takes two to three months of preparation to be successful at utilizing camouflage. The sooner you start, the better you'll, the better off you'll be. Scent concealment. Con concealing your scent is very important when you fully dedicate yourself to camouflaging, especially when used for hunting. An animal's nose is extremely sensitive and can detect scents from a much further distance than humans can. The basic rules for camouflaging your scent are to stay away from using deodorants, colognes, tobaccos, or anything not natural to the human scent. These things can make masking your scent very difficult because now you must mask the other scents too. Dirt can mask your scent but only for so long. It can be used when you have no other means to cover your scent but there's, there are other ways that are more effective. Depending on state laws, a great option for deer hunting is doe urine. Now before you get grossed out, doe urine is safe, however I wouldn't personally drink it and very effective at attracting a male deer to your location. Deer are very instinctive so when it's mating season any sign of a female will make a male go out of his way to find her mate, find her and, a mate, and mate. There are also scent masking sprays on the market. Make sure they aren't fused with bug spray. The DEET and most bug sprays can give away an irregular scent. Therefore, giving away your position. I recommend Synthaway Masking Spray. It's inexpensive and sold at most retail stores. This spray gives off an earthy scent, making it a great way to conceal your natural body odor. Camouflaging. Blending into the environment is critical when it comes to remaining unseen. 
The ideal shot is the one you make and can retreat to a safe distance all while remaining concealed. A ghillie suit can help you blend in your environment and are very inexpensive to make. While you can buy pre-made suits, it's not recommended. The best suits are made by hand with the brush, foliage, grass, and leaves around the area that you're in. The only exception to this rule is wintertime. A pre-made white and gray or white and black ghillie suit will fit most winter wilderness situations. While you don't have to completely cover yourself from head to toe, even camouflaging your weapon can make a big difference in concealment. Camouflage is the art of exploiting the naked eye. It may seem hard, but we'll explain how easy it can be. We'll break down the segments into three levels of camouflaging. Level 1. Camouflage Clothing and Face Paint Camouflage clothing is very easy and inexpensive to acquire. If you're a devout prepper, odds are you probably already own camouflage clothing. Face paint is very inexpensive and you can get it in the hunting section of most retail stores including Walmart. The importance of face paint is to be able to contour different parts of your face so that the natural light doesn't reflect off of it, giving away your position. Grease-based face paint is recommended because it's water resistant. If you're going to be out in the wilderness, you don't want to be reapplying your face paint because of a little rain. You'll want to use the colors that match the environment that you're in. In the forest, you'll want to use brown, black, and green. In a desert environment, you'll use tan, brown, and light green. In a winter environment, you'll use green, gray, and white. In an urban environment, you'll use gray, black, and brown. The areas of your face that cave in, such as your eyes, under your nose, under your bottom lip, and temples, you want to paint with the lightest color you're using for your environment. Make sure you paint a, you paint a larger area around your eyes so they're not recognizable at a distance as eyes. Also, make sure you properly blend the paint into your skin. By doing this, you obscure your natural facial pattern so enemies won't be able to recognize your facial shape at a distance. The shinier, shinier areas of your face, such as your forehead, cheeks, from the bone to your nose, and either side of your chin, you'll want to paint with the medium color you're using. Make sure you overlap the medium color with the lighter one and blend them together. If you don't, you'll look like you have blocks on your face rather than obscuring it. Tip. When you overlap colors, use three fingers to blend them in a circular motion, not your palm. The outer areas of your face, such as your chin, cheeks, cheekbones, and other forehead, you'll want to paint with the darkest colors. Blend the colors in with your fingers and then paint an irregular pattern on your face to match the foliage around you. For example, if it's winter and you're around a lot of leafless trees, paint black stripes on your face to match tree branches. Don't try to be Rambo and just use three black stripes on your face. You'll look like an idiot and completely ruin the purpose of painting your face. Make sure you also cover your ears and neck. Remember the rules for what parts to paint, what, what shade. Any object that sticks out, paint darker. Any object that caves in, paint lighter or medium. Using this method will give your face a flat appearance. Flat objects are much harder to detect at a distance, especially at night. The more skin around your face that's covered, the better chance you'll have at remaining undetected. Level 2. Camouflaging your rifle along with level 1. Camouflaging your rifle is an important step when you wish to remain concealed from your enemies or people in general. You'll hear of people wrapping camouflage pattern duct tape around their rifle, but I want you to think about that for a second. You spent a lot of money on a well-rounded rifle with a more than likely expensive piece of glass or a scope. Would you treat your rifle like that? 
It's like taking someone who's way out of your league to Burger King for a first date instead of planning a romantic one for around the same price. The only exception to this tape rule is the winter. You can get away with any white tape of your choosing so you can eliminate having to paint your rifle multiple times per year. To start the camouflaging process, start with a light coat of spray paint. For naturally wooded areas, use a darker green. For naturally barren areas, use a dark tan or a brown. Make sure you use matte paint, not metallic, because anything shiny can give away your position. Parachute cord will be your friend with, the proce with this process, so make sure you have plenty. On a side note, you should always have at least 50 feet of parachute cord in your bob. You never know when you'll need it. Once your weapon is painted, you can choose to paint your glass, but you don't need to if it's black. There are three easy stages of camouflaging your rifle. This is stage one. For stage two, you'll need parachute co cord. Find the natural foliage that will be around your area or at, of attack defense. You'll need to grab small, flexible branches, leaves, grass, basically anything that's found around the area you will set up. Remember, you want, you want to blend into your environment. Start by tying the small branches along the side of your rifle. Make sure you're not just trying them or tying them along flat with the rifle. You'll want them to stick up a little, not straight up and down either. A good rule to follow, one small branch every three inches. Once the branches are tied to your rifle, take the smaller foliage, leaves, grass, and other small items that you've gathered and weave them between the branches. This will give your rifle a natural-like appearance and help conceal you when your rifle sticks out. Also, make sure you do this to an extent on your glass. Scopes stick out like a sore thumb to the trained eye when they're not properly camouflaged. As far as the parachute cord is concerned, you'll want to match the color of the cord to the color of your surroundings. For instance, in a wooded area, the cord should be green. For a barren area, it should be tan. Lastly, in a winter environment, it should be white, gray, or black. For camouflaging your rifle in the winter, the same rules apply without the smaller foliage. Stage 3 is simple, camouflaging the light reflection on your scope. To do this, you can, do, you can buy a honeycomb attachment or make one yourself. If you choose to make one yourself, all you need is dyed burlap and a rubber band. Take the dyed burlap and cut it to size. Remove some of the strands so you can see easier and attach it to the front end of your glass with a rubber band. If you've completed all three steps to standard, your rifle should completely blend in with the environment you'll be shooting from. Level 3. Ghillie suits along with level 1 and 2. Ghillie suits come in two different variants, store-bought and handmade. I usually don't recommend store-bought items for things like this, but most bought ghillie suits are decent and save you a hell of a lot of time. Bought ghillie suits allow you to skip the tedious process of making one yourself and you can skip straight to the last step or step 5 in the ghillie making process. The materials are burlap big enough to wrap around your body 3 or 4 times, netting with, with 1 inch spacing, a badminton net will do, camouflage clothing colored to fit your natural surroundings, camouflage hat if you're using a helmet it will work too, fabric dyes at least 3 natural colors of your environment and hot glue gun with hot glue. The process. Pull apart the burlap strands strand by strand until all the burlap is in a single strand. Dye the burlap in the colors you picked for your environment. For instructions on how to dye burlap, follow the instructions on the fabric dye and allow time to air dry. Stitching the netting onto your clothing and hat. Make sure you stitch all the clothing with thick stitching. Ghillie suits are heavy and you don't want your suit coming undone when it matters most. Transparent fishing line works well for this. For a helmet, attach the netting to the bolt 
used for your chin straps for an extra hold pull the netting under the helmet as well pull the burlap strands four at a time through the netting so you're so they're in u-shaped strands around the netting and glue them to it make sure you disperse the color so you don't have dark browns in one area and light green in the other you'll look ridiculous after at, I'm sorry attach natural foliage found to your environment to the ghillie suit Remember, a ghillie suit should be 30% artificial and 70% natural. Ghillie suits can be extremely warm in high temperatures, so make sure you have a water source. You can wear a hose-fed hydration source under your suit to keep it concealed. If you, can help, if you can help it, try to plan your routes where the vegetation is nearly the same the entire way. To be effective at concealment, you need to blend into your environment. You'll stick out like a sore thumb if you try to cross a dry field wearing a dark green ghillie suit meant for densely wooded areas. Proper use of a ghillie suit requires a lot of practice. I suggest that you hide from a friend with your camouflage rifle obviously cleared of any rounds and have them try to come and find you. Avoid being tree cancer. This term is used by snipers to describe an individual using a tree to conceal themselves but end up looking like a lump sticking out of the trunk of the tree. A great place to set up your concealment position is in a thick bush or a high grassy area. Rocky areas also work well. Just make sure there's enough vegetation around to justify your ghillie suit. Make sure you conceal your sound as well. When moving through densely wooded areas, small twigs and other objects can break when you step on them. In a quiet, quiet area, this small sound can seem like a train moving through the woods. A good trick to use when trying to remain silent is walk very so slowly and plant your toes down first with each step. After your toes strike the ground, then slowly plant your heel. This allows you to manage the weight you strike the ground with initially, so if there is something that could generate a loud sound, you'll generally feel it before you see it. Urban Environments Urban areas can be difficult when it comes to camouflaging. There's, a little vegetation to, there's little vegetation to blend in with and lighting in most areas. In a post-collapse environment, the best way to camouflage yourself during the day is to blend in with the people. In doing this, you'll draw less attention to yourself. Wear the clothing they wear, walk how they walk, and talk how they talk. People dress differently in different regions, so study your environment. In a nighttime environment, however, camouflaging is very different. To camouflage yourself, use, a black, use all black clothing and nothing shiny that could give off a light reflection. Stick to the shadows when you're trying to conceal yourself from threats at night. That's not the time to be afraid of the dark. Complete darkness is your friend. Learn to use your ears to detect what the eyes can't see. Make sure you utilize a 5-minute familiarization time in complete darkness to allow your eyes to adjust. If you must use any kind of light when you're trying to conceal yourself, use a dim red lens. Very dim red light is more difficult for the naked eye to detect at longer distances. Use light sparingly because every time you do, you risk being detected. If you allow your eyes enough time to adjust to the dark, you should have no trouble moving around in it. When using face paint in an urban environment, use black and a darker shade of gray. The darker gray will be used in place of the light and medium colors are instructed to in the face painting segment above. Masking your scent is also very important at night because if you're not supposed to be somewhere, your scent will give you away at close dis distances before anything else will. Bedding down while concealed. If your concealment experience needs to be an overnight trip, there are ways to help conceal you while you get some sleep. You're no good to anyone, including yourself, if you're not well rested, so sleep is an important factor to keep a focused mind. 
Remaining concealed when you bed down in a rural, rural environment is much easier than doing so in an urban one. So if you can, move to a wooded area before you need to get some shut-eye. In a rural environment, make sure you have a shovel to dig a hole with. An army surplus e-tool is a great tool to dig with. It's lightweight, versatile, and compact. Dig a hole about 3 feet deep and the length of your body. The reason you want it deep is so you can pile vegetation on top of you while, you're, while you sleep. After you dig your hole, lay a tarp or some sort of waterproof material along the bottom of it. Then lay down in your hole and fold the waterproof material around you as if to make a cocoon. After you've done this, pull vegetation from the surrounding area on top of you, thus concealing your position. In an urban environment, find the high ground. Most people are lazy and won't want to put in the work to get to the highest point they can find. If you know you'll be in an ur urban environment overnight, plan your route accordingly so that, you end, so that your end point will be where you bed down. Once you've found your high ground, make yourself in, as inconspicuous as possible. The best area to bed down in, in an urban environment is a closet. If the only other option you have is a roof, make sure it's not easily visible by a normal pedestrian. Counter concealment. You, can really, you can't really think you're the only person in the world who knows about camouflage, right? You can count on many people knowing how to conceal themselves when, when SHTF and some might even be enemies. Therefore, it's very important to practice counter concealment. It's not as hard as you may think. Most people aren't very efficient at camouflaging, probably, probably because they didn't read my article. When, you, when you're looking for someone who may be camouflaged, look for the things that I had pointed out in the above segments that make you stick out, such as tree cancer. Another thing that's a dead giveaway is their scent. Most people don't think about masking their scent, so if you're a smoker, now's a good time to quit. Smoking greatly reduces your smelling capabilities, so stopping now will greatly increase your sensitivity to scent. Another technique you can use is paying attention to the wildlife around you. While you shouldn't shoot at the first thing that moves in the woods, you should definitely take a mental note when animals act irregularly around you. If birds suddenly fly out of a tree in flocks for no reason, there's a good chance that they feel like there's a threat in the area. Usually, birds associate humans as threats, so this could be a good indicator that there's someone in the vicinity. Camouflaging is a must-know technique for preppers. If whatever you're planning to hunt or recon doesn't know you're there, it will make your endeavors much simpler. Remember, never rush the camouflaging process unless you must. It could mean the difference between life and death. One last tip. If you must remain concealed, never travel in a team with more than three people. The more people in your group, the more noticeable you'll be. All right. There are, there are some comments here that you might be interested in uh, to go check out. And then there's also a lot of links uh, in, this, in this article. So good one. I really like the, um, the description on how to put the camouflage on your, on your face, uh, how to apply it. Uh, in all the, all the camouflage articles that I've ever posted on Prepper website, I don't recall one actually going through that detail and explaining uh, you know, how to do it. So that, I think that was good. Uh, and uh, you know it's always good to know something you know know a little bit about camouflage. Uh, one of the things I wanted to say is that if you need to purchase camouflage, a good place for that would be like a, a resale shop. So going to a Goodwill or some other resale shop, um, they usually you know put their all their items uh, all together according to to color, and you can find uh, big sections of camouflage there. And so uh, if you're looking for some cheap camouflage, that might be the place to go. 
So that's over at survivalsullivan.com. All right, good article there. Our next article comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. And uh, I think this is an important article for those of us who, who own firearms and are you know want to have the, the right amount of ammo. Uh, this is entitled, How Much Ammo? Eight Recommendations for Prepper Ammo Storage Supply. All right, so let's go ahead and get started on this one. My name is Salty, and I am an ammoholic. I admit it. I have more ammo in storage than I will ever shoot in my lifetime. I'm good with that. My wife, Spice, not so much. I'm going to be honest here. Preppers do not need as much ammo as I have. They really don't. I've found, however, that most preppers I have talked to or not gun who are not gun guys or gals don't have nearly as much ammo as I personally would feel comfortable with. I'm going to offer a rule of thumb for a minimum amount of ammo I would recommend preppers have having on hand, but first let me tell you how not to go gauge how much you should buy in store. When you are an ammoholic like I am, here's what you do. You do something like take the bed sheets off to do the laundry, and as you walk towards the hall to load the machine, you see a bare spot along the back wall beside the bed that looks like it would house three spam cans of 762 by 39 Instead of finishing your task, you go onto your favorite ammo website and order the 2700 rounds, then walk back, pick up the sheets, and go on, go on to the laundry. That's me. Don't be me. But... Don't be somebody who buys and owns guns who doesn't know how much ammo you have and don't skimp on shooting because the only way you know how to handle a gun is to shoot it from time to time. Here's a list of recommendations I have to determine a prepper's proper ammo storage level. These are my minimum recommendations and while they probably seem extreme to some, others will find them far too conservative. They are based upon types of guns and philosophy of use. For your main self-defense semi-auto rifle car carbine, at least 1,000 rounds per gun that you plan to use if you need to defend yourself, family with at least 10 magazines, for example. Spice and I would each have 1,000 rounds, or 2,000 total, and 10 magazines each, or 20 total. If we, for example, were using AR-15s and had a spare AR for each person, we wouldn't count extra rounds for those because there are only two of us. For your main close-in self-defense semi-auto standard size pistol, not AR-15 pistol, 500 self-defense rounds, not just full metal jacket, and 5 magazines. It's best if families all use the same calibers and interchangeable magazines. For example, we use Glocks. Mine is a 17, hers is a 19. Her 19 can take 17 mags, so all of our spare magazines are either 17 mags or longer, so they fit both guns. For your main self-defense, shoddy, 500 rounds. For your main grocery getter, high-caliber hunting rifle, 250 rounds of hunting ammunition. For your main 22 grocery getter, 2,000 rounds. I've been asked why I think these amounts appropriate, and I will expand on this in the future in another article. However, let me give, you, give a quick example. Taking the semi-auto self-defense rifle carbine, for example, 1,000 rounds plus the recommended magazine equals two things. The approximate cost of the firearm that shoots the rounds, therefore when a person buys a gun, mags and ammo, it's half cost gun and half cost supplies, and easy to budget. It's the amount of ammunition needed to really break in the firearm and should be expanded in the first year of ownership to get the gun as reliable as it will be and also to familiarize the owner with it to the point of comfort. I will go into this in more detail in another post. 
As I wrote in the previous story about streamlining your ammo, I limit my firearms to certain calibers only so that I can make the most efficient use of my ammo. I think it's extremely important to know exactly how much ammo you have, what type and what caliber. If you are an ammo-holic like I am, the, that may require computer help. Personally, I use an app on my iPhone called Inventory, and it uses barcodes to help track ammo coming and going. I love it. This brings me to my next set of points. Know how much ammo you have for each gun. Don't just guess. Put your ammo in weatherproof boxes and label everything carefully. When you shoot a box of ammo, replace it immediately. If you are still building your ammo supply, then shoot one but buy two. Build gradually over time. I have my reasons for having the ammo I have. I believe in having tangible long-term physical assets as part of my overall wealth. But I have to admit, part of why I have collected as much as I have is simple because I like it. One more thing to make sure I point out. Keep it 100% legal. I know the laws in your state. I'm sorry, know the laws in your state, county, and municipality, and of course, all federal laws as well. Keep it legal. Don't be caught out in the cold having guns without ammo, but on the other hand, don't be me. Set goals, have a plan, stick to it, and replace, replace ammo as you shoot it. Alright, so there's some comments there that you might be interested in to go check out. Um, I, like, uh, I like the idea of having the, the thousand rounds, uh, you know, having that set up. And, uh, you know, when you do that now, that's not per, uh, per uh, firearm, but I've heard other uh, statistics and numbers um, kind of say that, give that roundabout number there. So I like that idea. I like having the, the same calibers for, for every firearm uh, in the family. Uh, I think, like, for instance, uh, your, your pistols, I think that's, uh, that's important. There's a, you know, I know a lot of people who have different calibers of, of firearms, and so they're, they're stocking different calibers. And uh, so there's not a lot of uh, you know, being able to interchange the ammo there and magazines. So the, the Glock 17 and the 19 and all that aspect right there, I think that's helpful. Um, you know, f for that. And also, I, I think uh, one of the reasons, you know, um, I remember hearing James Yeager in one of his videos. And a lot of people don't like James Yeager, but uh, some people do, some people don't. I mean, just kind of, it was one of those things, right? Uh, but I remember uh, watching one of his videos where he said, and this was back in, in the election, I think the, the last election, uh, when, when uh, Clinton was going, was running, running against Obama. So it's, it's a long time back. But um, he had said something like ammo is not going to, or yeah, it, it, a firearms and ammo are not going to get any cheaper. And let that sink into you because it hasn't. Um, ever since those times, and the, I mean, you, you, you might get firearms that might get discounted because they're bringing, they're trying to sell old inventory and bring in new inventory. But as far as the baseline of the overall firearms and ammo, that hasn't gone down. And it's not going to go down. It's going to it's going to continue to go up because there has been those those instances where uh, you know there's been talk about you know shutting down uh, ammo facilities, you know uh, factories and different things like that, and not being able to get it. And you know right now it's good. You know back in the day when there was that panic buying, just like there was the panic buying of gasoline during Harvey here in Texas, I mean, the same thing you know happened with the ammo everywhere. Um, word starts getting out they're going to you know ban ammo sales and then all of a sudden you can't find it anywhere and it's barely starting to get back to to normal 
but uh, you start hearing some uh, some you know some rumors out there or some politician floats some idea and it starts to pick up a little bit of media attention and the same thing starts happening all over again. So if you are, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are new to prepping. Uh, maybe you're not even a prepper. Maybe you're just kind of new to the podcast and you're kind of hanging out and seeing, hey, is there something, uh, something to all of this? You know, being prepared. One of the, one of the reasons that we're prepared uh, is so that we, you know, we don't wind up getting in a situation where uh, we're having to play catch up. Uh, you know, a lot of the people during the, the Florida. Uh, the Florida hurricane, Hurricane Irma, you saw a lot of people that were going out and rushing out to try to buy supplies. And, and uh, you know, it, it, for those of us who prepare, that's not really the case because you have plenty of those items. You don't have to worry about going and getting batteries. You don't have to worry about, you know, food supply. I mean, you might go and like you might top off on some fruit, maybe some eggs and milk and different things like that. But as far as do you have the supplies that you need to, to live and survive if you needed to for a couple of weeks? I mean, yeah. And so, you know, you never want to be in a situation where your family is looks to you as, as a father and as a husband and or your kids, you know, they're, they're looking at you in like, Daddy, I'm hungry or Daddy, I'm scared. Or, you know, those kinds of things. You want to be able to do everything you can to mitigate those situations and we don't again we don't plan out of fear we don't prep out of fear we just plan and prep because we know that the world's crazy i mean right now we've got all the things going on we've got fires we've got earthquakes we've got uh hurricanes right that's just natural disasters that are going on and then we have the crazy little man in north korea uh we have all the other things that are going on and it's not even talking about like economics and it's not talking about you know uh you know the the ability for some uh you know crazy strain of the flu to get out of control and start uh you know really damaging the population so you have all these things that are that are there that's possible. Our, our world is very, very fragile. And so it's one reason that we prep. And part of that is, you know, uh, is, is defense. And part of that is, you know, having the right amount of ammo and, and, and knowing, you know, that you can defend yourself if in your family if you had to. And so uh, good article over here, good amounts. And uh, I look forward. We've been doing a lot of beans, bullets, bandages, and you. Uh, dot com over at Prepper website. They've been putting out a lot of information. Go, so go check them out. Hey, yeah, I didn't mention there are a lot of things going on. We are keeping the people in uh, Hurricane, keep the people in Hurricane Irma in your prayer, and also the people that are, uh, you know, on the Texas Gulf Coast. There's still a lot of damaged people underwater, people who who still don't have access to water, uh, you know, and so we still have a lot of that going on as well. Um, we'll see what what tomorrow brings with Hurricane Irma, but we got fires going on. People are devastated. They're not getting a lot of attention. They're you know Houston was getting a lot of attention. Irma's getting a lot of attention, but the fires going on you know in in uh, up north and uh, on the west coast you know they're not getting any attention. We got to keep them in our prayers. Uh, you know, and all the other things uh, that are going on and possible. Um, you know, that's why we prep, right? That's why we prep. Um, but uh, you know. They're going to be in our thoughts and our prayers out there. So um, I do want to say, hey, thanks so much for starting off your your week with us on the Prepper website, podcast.com. Uh, we look forward to uh, to a whole brand new week and hitting uh, hitting all the uh, the new pod the new episodes that we're going to this week. Hey, if you get a chance, come and uh, uh, check out, check us out on the Facebook group. You can go to moreselfreliantlife.com. That'll take you straight there. 
or go to the website and click on uh, the free Facebook group link. It'll take you over there. Uh, don't forget to uh, come be a part of the email list. Uh, when you do, you automatically get enrolled in the free e-course, A More Self-Reliant Life. And uh, as always, you know, I'd love to hear from you. So any feedback that you can give me, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or come by the website and, uh, you know, leave a comment in one of the episode show notes. I always appreciate that as well. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.